I'm passionate about helping you find your best you. I'm passionate about helping you find the best version of you. Or like I like to tell a lot of my rookie guys, let's get into a relationship with the future you, right? Maybe this guy that you are today isn't that person. I love and that's that. Okay. That's cool. Right? Well, let's start to develop a relationship with your future self. Let's start to develop a relationship with how that guy approaches things. How does he talk? How does he speak to himself? How does he respond to setbacks? How how does he respond to challenges? And somewhere within that journey, we're going to parse out what's holding you back. And we're going to figure out what to start doing. We're going to figure out what to stop doing. And then we're going to continue with helping you. Welcome to the Two Sales Guys podcast with your hosts, Sean Whitley and Matthew Sopiers. What's commonly talked about are the tactics and methodologies for sales professionals. What is less commonly talked about is the stress and anxiety that comes with being a seller. Each day, sales reps are asked to take rejection after rejection, operate in a world of uncertainty and high pressure, and either fail to hit their number or get a higher quota the next year. We'll talk about how to cope with these pressures and what a winning sales mindset really looks like. Sales is often called a performance business, and we'll explore how stress can drive bad selling behaviors. And alternatively, we'll look to experts on how you can manage your mind and wellness first so that you're putting your best foot forward every day at work. We'll talk to professionals in the industry who share the same experiences and what organizations can do to create a healthy, winning sales culture. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Two Sales Guys. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're speaking with a longtime friend of mine, uh, Gary Frazier. Gary's a sport and performance psychology consultant specializing in performance psychology. He's also the founder and lead performance consultant for Perform US LLC. And he has previously served as a performance coach and expert at UNLV and the US Army. He currently works with elite performers in sports, business, and high-risk occupations. And with that, Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me, man. I'm uh, excited to share with you guys and spend a little time talking about what we do. Yeah, we appreciate you uh, jumping on here. And I think you've got some really unique perspective that uh, draws a really uh, good parallel to the sales profession in terms of working with a lot of athletic high performers. Um, and we know a lot of sales folks are ex-athletes. And so um, you, you and I both played football together and that's how we know each other. But, you know, we'd love to understand how you went from, you know, playing in athletics to then deciding to move into this mental performance uh, business and ultimately help not only athletes, but other businesses with that winning mindset. Essentially, all my life growing up in sports, I was the guy on the team that you know, would try to pump the guys up or try to be the guy that, you know, made the rally cry, you know, and um, I found myself like once I got into college playing sports, I ended up at three different schools. Um, I had two of my coaches get fired and I'm like on this transfer portal hype. And next thing you know, um, I kind of made the switch between did I want to be an academic or did I want to be an athlete? Mm. And what was going to, I guess, fulfill me or take me further um, in that pursuit. And obviously I wasn't good enough, uh, to be the level of athlete I wanted to be, but I felt like there was more inside of me that I could express and help other people become their best. And, um, kind of went on a journey. Um, not sure if you guys even know, but I was a sales guy. Uh, 
I worked in sales, uh, retail management. I worked in investment sales um, and kind of got burnt out with that. And once I talked to my uh, advisor looking to try to go get an MBA, she suggested that I look into becoming a performance psychologist. She kind of understood what my passions were. She understood uh, some of the things that I like to do in my own time, working out and training and things like that. And she suggested that I check out their curriculum and essentially checked it out. She was right on. And um, I never looked back. I started the program, finished my master's. And within like three months of finishing my master's, I was a performance coach at UNLV. That's incredible, man. I I love uh, hearing stories about people finding their niche and where they can really use their specific skill set to do something and elevate not just themselves, but others. I really take pride in being a sales manager because I can coach up my team. So um, maybe just with touching on UNLV, like what was that like in the very beginning? I mean, just taking on the first role now that you've chosen this path, what was that like? Uh, there was a big case of imposter syndrome. Um, <laughs> I uh, walked into a lab at UNLV, um, really just kind of chance encounter. Um, met some clinical doctoral students that were there doing some work in the athlete population on campus and just kind of asked them about what they were doing. And they were a program called TOPS. It was the Optimum Performance Program in Sports at UNLV. And that program basically helped athletes, um, club athletes, things like that on campus, kind of develop the skills to deal with the stressors of being an athlete and a student, as well as being separated from their family. So um, we developed a lot of protocols, workshops, um, different ways to work with the athletes in terms of not only turn around their situation, but some of the athletes uh, were dealing with substance abuse. Some of the athletes were dealing with disciplinary actions. And um, we just gave them better ways to not only deal with those issues, but also how to thrive with what they were there for, how to thrive with the things that, you know, they were basically being trained to do at UNLV which is to be student athletes and which is to kind of represent their teams in the best way. Awesome. I, I, I would love to jump in. I think um, I was doing research ahead of the interview and I was looking at all the things that you do for the people that you work with. And one of the things that I noticed that you mentioned is something that you focus on is increasing mastery over air recovery. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I don't know exactly what that means. And I think you'll probably get into how you just define what that is. But I, I can imagine it has something to do with when an athlete or an individual goes through a tough time. Maybe they made a mistake or had a bad game or are going through some sort of period where they feel like maybe they, they didn't do something good enough. And um, I wanted to dig into that just because I think it's pretty relevant for us on the sales side. You know, I think that um, you know, we go through rejection after rejection. There's times where you may not have a great sales call. Um, we lose sales deals just by nature all the time. And so I'd love to dig into first, like, what is increasing mastery over air recovery? And then ultimately, like, how do you help athletes go through that process? Increasing mastery over air recovery is basically allowing yourself to understand how to come back from a play that didn't go your way. Right. Like we all want to do things the right way. Uh, we all want to have success in the things that we do. But I think you guys could attest. And like you said, with the sales job, um, just like in athletics, it's hard. Right. And sometimes things just don't go that way. And it's very important in those times to be able to reinterpret those events, be able to reinterpret those moments 
to reframe them in a way that helps you to thrive the next time or helps you to be able to execute the next time. And I think more than anything, you really want to be able to understand and recognize what was the error, right? And then once we recognize what the error is, be objective about understanding how we can maybe adjust or, you know, make the response appropriate the next time. And then releasing that bad one, getting past it, flush it, right? And then let's refocus ourselves to think about what we need to do next. Let's refocus ourselves to think about how we need to do what we need to do next. And then hopefully, you know, we can have the outcome that we desire. But mm. unfortunately, we don't control outcomes. We only control <laughs> the process in between. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that you speak with the athletes that you work with, you know, after a game. And there's all sorts of things that you'll probably have conversations with them. Um, mm-hmm. But the recovery time for athletes, like let's say like in a game, uh, let's say they just struck out, for example, you know, that mm-hmm. turnaround time for them to drop what just happened or reinterpret what just happened so that they can, you know, deliver at their highest or their best the next time around is important. Do you give them like frameworks or things that they can take into the game with them or, or things that they can think about, you know, at least in real time, like when they don't have a huge amount of time to reflect, you know, in between, in between, like, uh, you know, certain things that happen inside of a game? We think one of the biggest separators in terms of high performers is next play speed. And it's your ability to make an error and then quickly refocus yourself and channel yourself to be able to go back and make the next play the way that you want to or execute the next play deliberately. Right. So if we're looking in a business context, um, it's also doing that in the business, right? Like if you're able to reframe and come back and kind of go after this next deal with a purposeful mindset, not counterproductively thinking about what didn't happen the last time, but just quickly refocusing yourself to get back on task more times than not, you're able to kind of uh, focus exactly on what needs to happen. But more than that, focus on what's important now. Focus on how you need to be and what you need to do in order to execute. And that's just what's most. That's, that's going to be the separator more times than not in terms of coming back from a bad play and thriving on the next play or thriving on the next pitch. Yeah, I mean, we definitely see that with sellers that they sit and sulk or, or dwell in the the loss or the failures and it impacts their whole overall attitude perception and and it carries over into the next call or the next deal. And you can't have that. I mean, that just hurts your overall performance. And then of course, within a sales culture, at least in the confines of being in an office, you know, one bad apple in terms of negative perspective and emotions and all that, it's contagious, man. It's like a disease and it can just rot everybody else if it becomes too prevalent. So I like that approach of of focusing on the right behaviors, what you know you can control, what you know you can perform well at, and prepping for that next at-bat, uh, essentially, and letting go of those things mm-hmm. as quickly as you can. Yeah, and, and like the pressure mounts. Like, um, you know, if a sales rep hasn't closed a deal in a while, it starts to affect how they ultimately talk to the customer or how often they follow up and and like pressure starts to impact sales performance quite a bit. And I think one of the things we wanted to ask you a little bit about is slumps. Um, because I think in sales we have we have to go through slumps all the time, um, periods of down. Mm-hmm. In in the world of enterprise sales, Sean and I always joke that 
like we feel like we did a good job about five times a year, you know, cause you usually close about five deals a year and the rest of the 361 days a year, we feel like we're failing or chasing those five days. And so, um, you know, I think one of the questions we wanted to ask you about and dig into a little bit is what causes athletes to go into slumps and how do you help them get out of them? Uh, very simply, and I don't want to make this too light um, because being in the slump is tough. Being in the slump is hard, you know, and it, it's stressful, right? But I think ultimately um, it's going to be lack of focus and the story that they tell themselves has gotten weak. Right. So as you guys are talking about, um, you know, you're closing five deals in a 300 day year. Right. That's tough. Right. Because there's going to be five celebrations and there's 295 days. It's like, what the hell is going on? Right. What do we need to do next? You know? Yeah. And I think the, the most important thing within those times is to do what we call P3 thinking. And that's to be purposeful in how you're thinking about what's about to happen. That's to be um, productive in how you're thinking about what's about to happen and thinking about the possibilities, right? Thinking about what can happen versus what can't. And I think in terms of like losing that focus, there's four things we have control of, right? And those four things are going to be your thoughts, your effort, your attitude, and your actions, right? So if a person is not coming in with the right attitude, it's going to be very hard for them to take the requisite effort that is going to be needed for them to execute. It's just going to be very tough because counterproductively you're telling yourself this isn't working or, you know, it's hard or man, we're not getting any sales today. Or, you know, in my case, we're not making the plays or I can't come up with it. Right. And in those situations, you have to be able to get yourself to what we like to call a positive mind, you know, and get back to your swagger, get back to the things that make you who you are. And more times than not, science tells us that, the more time you're able to hang out in positive mind, you can accidentally slip into what we like to call the flow state, your most optimal state, you know, the, the zone or the sweet spot for you where everything happens in a way where the challenge matches up with your skill level, right? But I say for an athlete that's in a slump, it becomes tough because that story that they tell themselves isn't backed up with evidence, it isn't backed up with the things that make them uh, good. I'm not going to say they're great because maybe they're not, but they have something that's of value. They have something to bring to the table that makes them who they are. And sometimes we can lose sight of that. So in terms of me, like working with guys, uh, I like to slow things down. So I'll either do one or two things. If they're in a slump and they're acknowledging that it's a slump, it's not like a perceived thing. If they're talking down on themselves, if they're using these self-defeating statements about themselves, then I'll just ask them, is it true? You know, and we try to parse out if there's evidence that goes against what they're saying about themselves or evidence that the outside, you know, maybe has against what they're saying. And if there is, then we want to identify at least three or four things or three or four pieces of evidence that go against that negative thinking, that go against that counterproductive thinking about the next thing because that's not going to help us get there. That's not going to help us be productive to be able to execute. And more times than not, when they're able to kind of slow down and really just think, Hey, let's be objective about this. Are we in a slump or do we have a couple bad at bats? Are we in a slump or do we just have a couple bad shots? They don't all go in. So I just mentioned earlier, we don't control the outcome, right? So anytime that we're chasing outcome, we're chasing something we have no control over. 
But if we're chasing doing the right things in between, if we're chasing kind of lining up the right process, we give ourselves a better chance to be able to execute. We give ourselves a better chance to have things go our way. We just have to remain optimistic. That's the belief that something good is going to happen. That's great. I mean, I think one of the things in our, our prep conversations we've talked about in focusing and working on those right steps and those right procedures to get yourself set up for success. Like in sales, obviously, there's different things we can focus on in that regard. But like on the athletic side, just speaking in your arena, there's obviously mm-hmm. physical performance, skill-based performance. And then where you're taking aim is in the, the mental performance. So could you maybe share with us how you feel that gives your athletes an edge uh, over others and why uh, this is a space that you're in, invested in now and maybe give some some feedback around is that the 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 consistent thing for most most of these sports and most of these teams are they all investing in that mental edge as much okay um i think to that point we have to like identify what are the things that we can train or influence right and i think across the board whether it's uh in business whether it's in sport whether it's in a high risk occupation like firefighting police officer or maybe a fighter you know I think in all those environments, there's three things we can train. We can train our body. We can train our craft and our skills to get better at what we do. And we can train our mind. But when you really just kind of look at the landscape of not only high performers, but just performance domains in general, I think what we often see is a lot of people do a really good job at the first two. A lot of people lead with being really, really good at their craft or finding a way to keep getting better, right? A lot of people lead with, hey, I need to get myself in shape so I can be better, you know, with what I'm doing. But I think more than anything, um, you lose sight of or you leave for chance the mind. And it's like, okay, well, I'm focused or I'm, you know, I know what I need to do. I've worked on my craft, so I'm good, you know? And... I would say the best in the world, they, they find a way to be better than that. They find a way to train their mind. They find a way to not leave anything to chance. And not only not leave anything to chance, but they find a way to do all three. And that's what allows for them to sustain. That's what allows for them to uh, go to the next level after they've already had everything, right? And then you see some other people maybe have a fixed mindset about doing the extra work, about doing what we call the work, and that's working on your mind and working on yourself, you plateau. You don't reach your full potential. You don't maximize your earnings, right? You don't maximize the opportunity. And because of that, you're going to get beat out. Somebody's going to take it from you. Somebody who wants it more, somebody who's hungrier than you, and somebody who just figured out how, right? They're going to come get you, man. They're looking at you right now. They want your head. (laughs) I mean, so much of what you talk about is the stories we tell ourselves, like Um, Mm self-talk. And I think like I've gone through periods where I have poor (laughs) self-talk, whether it be because of recent outcomes or insecurities about an event in the future. Um, And I think like, I'd love to hear from your perspective, Gary, like, like where where do you start like with someone or, or what would be your advice to someone that's, that's not, 
giving themselves or telling themselves the best narratives. Um, they have poor self-talk because it feels like, you know, based on some of our conversations so far, that that's such a big part of having a great mindset and anything that you do is how you talk to yourself. Well, I'll start with, uh, Dr. Albert Bandura's theory, um, with the four sources of certainty, right? And the four sources of certainty are going to be your past success or failure, is going to be your physical state, like how you feel right now in the moment. It's going to be the vicarious experience, seeing other people with similar skill set to you or slightly better do it. And you think to yourself that you can do it, too. Or it's going to be persuasion. It's going to be you talking to yourself, telling yourself that you can do it, that you can take this chance, that you can go for it. Or it's going to be somebody else picking you up. It's going to be somebody else pushing you. And if you don't have those you might have some doubt. You might have some uncertainty, right? <laughs> so I think it's very important first to just be aware um, of what the story is. And we do that a lot by um, what we call TPC, and that's Thought Performance Connection. So it's obviously something that's uh, making this story in your mind, right? It's not just you with this negative story, right? Like I think it's natural for us to have um, a negative narrative sometimes or going to this negative mindset where there's that frustration, that worry, that doubt, you know, being self-critical of ourselves. But I think the awareness piece allows for us to pull ourselves out of it. It mm -hmm. allows for us to go into that positive mind that I was talking about and get back to being us, get back to doing what we do well. Right. But I think more than anything, um, it's very important to just become aware of the narrative, become aware of the traps in that narrative and then try to parse it out as to how is it making you feel? How are you responding to that in terms of your action, in terms of how it's making you feel, right? Because if you look at the TPC or the thought performance connection, it's going to be basically in response to an event. So you're going to have a thought and that thought is going to influence how you feel. And then how you feel is going to impact what you do or how you perform, right? So if, if what you're saying to yourself isn't strong, it's also not going to make you feel good. Mm. And because of that, you're going to play small, yeah. right? You're going to possibly not show up as your best you. Mm. And that's where I want to pound the table and be an advocate or try to help because I'm passionate about helping you find your best you. I'm passionate about helping you find the best version of you. Or like I like to tell a lot of my rookie guys, let's get into a relationship with the future you. Right. Maybe this guy that you are today isn't that person. I love and that's that. OK. That's cool. Right? Well, let's start to develop a relationship with your future self. Let's start to develop a relationship with how that guy approaches things. How does he talk? How does he speak to himself? Mm. How does he respond to setbacks? How, do he how does he respond to challenges? And somewhere within that journey, we're going to parse out what's holding you back. And we're mm -hmm. going to figure out what to start doing. We're going to figure out what to stop doing. And we're gonna we're gonna continue with helping you. All I was gonna say is what I love most about that is I think when you start talking about meeting your future self, your thoughts are the things imagining what you're gonna be. So with your whole TPC, like literally where we're starting with imagining our future self is all based on thought. So mm -hmm. then that creates the emotional tie and it just motivates you. I mean, I know me personally, as soon as you said it. Like I just pictured myself when I started in sales and like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, man. Like I'm talking to these big companies and like working on these big deals, like imposter syndrome for sure. 
But yeah. if you would have told me to imagine my future self closing, you know, hundred million dollar deals or whatever, like I could see, like you said, what are the behaviors? What are the way they speak? How do they act? And you can really create this bridge in your mind that like, I could get there. I could do that. And like you said, then we start to find those pieces that are not working in there and let's get them out of the way. Yeah. I love that, man. I love it. It's easy, I guess, as a coach then to, to point out like, hey, that's that's not a behavior your future self would <laughs> would be doing. That's not what they'd be saying. Um, I love that, man. I think it's great. Yeah, I, I think it's something, too, that it's it's hard for us to to think about. You know, it's, it's hard for us. You know, our brain is only allowed or able, I should say, to think about one thing at a time. Right. And all of us want to claim that we're multitaskers. All of us want to claim that. We can do more than one thing at once. And it's just not possible, you know, <laughs> and we're not we're not also able to think about more than one thing at once. Right. Mm-hmm. So we can't think about our future self at the same time thinking about today we suck. So we got to mm-hmm. choose. We got to make a choice. Right. Focus is a choice. Refocus is a skill. So we have to make the choice that we're going to focus on our future. self. we're going to kind of get out of the way of all the things we don't have influence over, all the things we don't have control over. Right. And let's just get down to what can we control on that journey? Mm. Acknowledge that we're not there today. Right. But what can we control today? What can we influence today that gets us one step closer? Mm. What can we start doing today that can move us one step closer? Mm. And sometimes it's just sitting down and having that conversation of like, what kind of car does he drive? Mm. Where does he live? Making it real. Yeah. Who does he talk to when he first comes in the building in the morning? I literally just did this with a guy last week. Just talked to him an hour ago. And he's like, dude, every day this week, I talk to the guy at the front door, you know, and he's like, it changed how we felt because, Mm. you know, you're sore, you're tired, you're worn out. You know, you need some extra recovery time. But how you feel is going to impact what you do. Mm. So what do you need to do in order to feel the right way? What do you need to do? in order to kind of approach things in that way to make you feel alive, to make you feel good. Let's mm-hmm. do more of that. Yeah. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, you know, as athletes, and I think we have this as, as a culture in sales as well, um, is we're supposed to be tough. Um, we're supposed to be able to be strong and get through tough periods. Um, and par- part of what you've talked about here is being so important is, is opening up acknowledgement of being aware. Um, and so like, do you run into like clients that are a little bit tougher to get to open up and, and like, how do you get them to start talking about, you know, their feelings or their thoughts in an open way so that you can actually help? I mean, I, I was a master resilience trainer, uh, performance expert for the army. And in that role, we didn't work with soldiers. We work with officers and high ranking officers. And ultimately, um, you're going to have that table one day that, you know, you're facilitating and there's going to be 12 captains sitting at your table. <laughs> they all have, you know, five stars. They all have, you know, kind of all the stories that you can go at. I'm a civilian. I've never lived in your world. I've never walked in your boots. Right. And I want to talk to you about your goals. You know, you smashed everything in the military. You've done everything that you've ever thought about doing, right? Like everybody here salutes you. But here's this guy asking you about what you want to accomplish, right? Here's this guy asking you about what you want to do. What's your why, you know? And uh, I got a lot of pushback. 
from some of those guys. And what I realized was it wasn't the pushback on the goal. It was the pushback on the connection. I didn't know them. They didn't know me. Right. I'm just trying to do some work with them. Right. I'm trying to get them to check a box with me. But in reality, I realized and I, I learned this from feedback that I got from the soldiers. So once I got off of the sports psychology soapbox and I kind of just approached them as Gary authentically um, and talked about, hey, you know, OK, great. No, nobody has any goals. Nobody wants to accomplish anything else. Once you retire, you're done accomplishing things. I, I feel you. Right. You're burnt out on accomplishment. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> What's next? Cause we have to live, right? So then what's important to you? Let's start there. You know, uh, what are some things in your life that kind of shaped you to be this person that's so goal oriented or so much of a goal getter? Let's talk about those things then, right? Or let's talk about maybe some of the things that we haven't got right that we probably will face on the other side of being in this profession, right? Since we don't want to talk about anything going forward. So what I realized with those guys Connection changes situations. We'll go from nobody has anything from for me to four days later, we're all crying together about real experiences, right? About me uh, possibly going up, growing up in a gang environment in LA, losing friends, losing close loved ones and things like that. And then just saying, screw all of the other stuff. Let's talk about that. Cause I have pain too, right? I have a lot of things that I've, I've put away you know, to be doing this. So cool, we can go there. And just the fact that I'm able to be that vulnerable and keep it real, then they're able to open up. They're able to tell me the truth. They're able to go there with me. So I think a lot of times we can lead so many times for our agenda. We can lead so many times for the agenda of the objective, right? But slow down for a second and try to connect. Slow down for a second and meet the person where they are and just see what really motivates them. What is the thing that makes them wake up and makes them do their job at the level that they do it? And let's start there. Let's connect with that. Because all this other stuff I'm talking about, it may not be useful for you. And I don't want to waste my time or your time. Mm. Yeah, I think I've, I've had that experience in, in coaching sales reps, um, you know, where they're kind of afraid to talk about their fears yeah. <laughs> a little bit. And I think because of the nature of our job being busy, sometimes we just don't take the time to build that connection first before going in and having coaching moments with them, um, which is yeah. not going to produce great outcomes to your point. You're not going to get them to open up to cohesion to, is very important. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. A similar parallel for me was when I was running the enablement program, uh, essentially the training program for sellers. And, um, I had no problem working with these young new sellers because they're all in the mindset of like, I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to like, I, I don't know anything, I need to know more, whatever, right? Whereas when I was working with some of the more senior enterprise sellers that have been doing this for 15 years, they're looking at me as like the same, same kind of perspective of like, who's this young little you know, kid going to tell me about selling or any of that kind of stuff? And all I was trying to do was help them get better, win more deals, like, and, and know more specifically to the business that we're, we're doing at hand, which may not be 100% what you've been doing before. So I think you're right that once we started getting to know each other, not even in the work setting, just more on the, you know, the happy hours or the company events and stuff, it started to change. Um, and I've never really wrapped my head around that as being the driver to that change. And you just like framed it up so nicely now. And I think, 
that's a big takeaway for me. Yeah, connection um, is a pillar to high performance. Connection is a pillar to self-discovery for other people. Because a lot of times, you know, the work that you do or the, the stakes that you're doing your work on, right, are very high. So because of that, they don't know if it's okay. They don't know if the water is too hot, right? Mm. So it's, it's on the leader, quote unquote, per se, to say, hey, let's put this barrier down and let's just try to see how I can help you come a little closer. Or let's see how I can help you develop a little bit more into how you're trying to become. And that's where it becomes their experience, not mine's. So I have to pull back on what it is I want to introduce. I have to pull back on all these theories or something I want to show you because now I just have to connect with you and just find out like, what do you want? Mm. What do you want me to talk about? You know? Yeah. You mentioned it best. I mean, people go in with their personal objective in those moments or they, they get too focused on the overall objective objective versus, you know, the individual that's involved and what's most important Mm -hmm. to them. I want to I want to go back to something that we missed on the, the questions here, because um, I think what Sean and I are talking a lot about is stress and pressure. Yep. How do you feel about like good stress versus bad stress in sports? Are there such things? It is you um, stress versus distress. So you stress is going to be the good stress, right? It's going to be the things that are hard, challenging obstacles but they're going to fuel you to go forward. And I think Sean was talking about that in terms of making that connection with your future self and realizing there's some things you're going to have to do, but understanding that it's possible is going to fuel you to go forward, right? It's going to give you that grit, that passion, that perseverance to pursue that long-term goal or pursue, you know, the deal or whatever it is that you guys are doing. The eustress is going to be like the things that motivate you, right? It's going to be the things that push you to do the thing that's, I guess you're, you're attempting to do, but it's stressful. It's hard, right? But the distress is going to be the stress that burns you out. It's going to be the stress that frustrates you. It's going to be the stress that makes it very hard to come to the workplace tomorrow. Right. And it's very, very hard to be your best while feeling very bad. Right. Like they don't go together. So you have to be able to align how you feel with what you do. Right. And those things have to match up in a way that serves what you're trying to do. So if you're not able to kind of parse out or work through or manage the distress, it can burn you out. That's where you see the absenteeism. That's where you see people turning into resignation letter. You know, that's where you see guys want to transfer in terms of the sport context um, because it's too much. Right. They're not getting what they need. And more times than not, as a human, we're only going to go towards things that don't feel good for so long before we just abort mission and realize, hey, not only is this too hard, but I don't even want to do this. And that's where that comes. Like you're spending way too much time burning yourself out. You're spending way too much time possibly spending thing, uh, spending time on things that you don't have control of. And essentially, it's the grip and gravity force. You're not spending more time gripping the things that you can control And you're spending way too much time trying to get on the things that are weighing you down, get on the things that are, you know, keeping you at your lowest level. And that's never going to help you be your best. Mm. So you stress is good. Distress, it can cause some problems for sure. 
If you're interested in educational videos to better yourself, we highly recommend The Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses Plus is a subscription video on-demand learning service that gets you unlimited, uninterrupted access to a world of learning anytime and anywhere you want it. With courses on thousands of topics, you're sure to find something that will ignite your curiosity and invigorate your passion for learning. So head on over to the twosalesguys.com forward slash GCP. One thing that Matt and I expected we might get is a little bit of criticism around this this series in terms of talking about, you know, mental health, stress and pressure in the sales profession from the standpoint of you've got a lot of traditional sales leaders that are you need to have thick skin. You know, why are you talking about your feelings and all this stuff? You're just being a pussy and all this kind of stuff. Obviously, we're taking it from a similar angle that I think you approach it where it's like we're talking about how to redirect those emotions towards better performance. Not sit here and woe is me, this sucks, my manager is a, an asshole, and just like, you know, bitching about our situation. Instead, it's like we're identifying, acknowledging, and then redirecting what we can harness so that we can come out faster, we can cope with the stress, and ultimately raise our level of performance. And I mean, besides, you know, your thoughts on that, I would love to hear. Are you facing any similar criticism in these professional arenas where there's like, you know, the, the OG owners that are like, you know, what the fuck is this mental psychologist doing here talking about this, my guy's feelings? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I've seen it sport to sport. I've seen it in sport programs. I've seen it in athletic departments. Um, I've also seen it in the army, right? With the government. Mm. And one thing I realized after being there was like, yeah, you're right. There's going to always be pushback. There's always going to be people that like, Hey, you're here for them. You're not here for me. Right. And a lot of times that's where the, the clash in culture comes from because the leader isn't on board with the pack. Mm. The leader's trying to lead in his way. Right. So then what ends up happening is, Hey, here's what they need for them to be good. And then here's what I need from them. And sometimes they're not aligned, right? So I think ultimately the reason why we were hired by the government as contractors to work with the army and officers was the army wanted to implement resilience training. And the, the core of resilience training is positive psychology. So Dr. Karen Rivich at the University of Pennsylvania, um, she created this program um, for mass resilience and obviously, the University of Penn has a direct relationship with the U.S. Army and their training and their leadership school. So it was a toxic culture for years. You know, with your drill sergeant, you see movies about it, right? Your drill sergeant, you know, getting on your ass or, uh, you know, the, the sergeant general, you know, kind of getting on you about this or that. But I think what ends up happening and um, those types of settings where it's super autocratic, right, where you're listening to this guy and we have to go execute this task. Um, they lose connection to the people. So then you go talk to him about, hey, what's our culture here? Right. And then he says something. Mm -hmm. But then you go talk to his sales leader. Hey, what's our culture here? And they say something else. 
but we're on a team, right? Mm-hmm. So what I realized was just um, there are so many different ways to reframe situations. There's so many different ways to um, look at situations in a way that helps you versus hurts you. And positive psychology resilience training was a huge component with that because it developed the core competencies of resilience, which is your self-regulation, your relationships, your ability to kind of avoid thinking traps and the things that are going to kind of hold you down and bog you down. Um, Just developing the soft skills that allow for you to be a a fully developed leader, not the leader that you want to be, right? And a lot of times being a fully developed leader, it exposes your blind spots. Mm. It exposes your, you know, grains of truth that you're maybe dismissing, right? And that a lot of times exposes fixed mindset. It exposes a person that is a little uncomfortable with changing things, a little uncomfortable with doing things a different way, right? But we know from research, we know from kind of just evidence-based studies where, hey, the people that aren't able to grasp having a growth mindset, doing things differently to get a different outcome, or doing things differently to get the outcome that the group wants, they're going to plateau. Or... They're not going to be able to get control of the people and results are going to suffer big time. Mm -hmm. So again, you got to choose what's more important, you or the org, you or the people, you or our goals. And you just got to have that honest conversation, you know? (laughs) So I think uh, that program really taught me a lot because they would uh, categorize it in the army as uh, rainbows and butterflies, right? <laughs> so they see us come in and as soon as they see us and it's like, are you an MRT? I'm like, yeah, I'm an MRT. Uh-oh, <laughs> rainbows and butterflies, guys. Like, I'm sitting in the back, you know? <laughs> and what I realized was like, they didn't realize what they were coming for. <laughs> Clearly, it's not my issue, right? Like, you're coming here because somebody identifies something within you we need a little bit of development. We need a little bit of sharpening those tools. And I just want to be able to support not only the development, but you becoming aware of how to develop in your way. Mm. And we take it from there. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing rainbows about mindset, you know, and I think more and more companies and teams and everyone's going to come around to like, this probably matters more than the physical element of what we do. Um, at least when it comes to doing things at the highest level, right? As a starting point. I think the pushback a lot of times comes from, we all have a vision of how we think something should be, right? And I think when something interferes with the vision, it's a challenge to us. But if we don't put the, the, the threat of the challenge into the right filter, we're gonna be threatened by the sake of change. We're gonna be threatened by the sake of growth, right? But if we take it and have a challenge mindset versus a threat mindset, we can grow from it. We can embrace it. We can attack it. Mm. But I think so many people, when they became the manager, they became, you know, the CEO, they were going to do it this way. You know, and a lot of times that is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to follow your gut. That's how you got there. But then also you have to make the adjustments necessary to serve everyone. You have to make the adjustments necessary for us to get the optimal results, not just good results. Hmm. So one of the things you've mentioned to us previously that you, when you work with, let's say like an NFL athlete and weekly, they go into these games, you're having conversations with them to prepare them for these games. What are some of the techniques that you're 
tasking with them to look on in terms of week to week or their performance. Some of the the conversations you're having that we could maybe possibly translate over into how do we coach our sellers to do, you know, call to call or whatever type of cadence. Well, I'll kind of just walk you through like a framework. Um, if say we're coming in and this is, you know, you come in to speak after a game or something like that. Um, generally, I like to get, you know, takeaways from what they felt about what happened, you know, just kind of reflection. And then we kind of go into, you know, if it was a bad week, obviously it could be some bad reflection. It can be some negative things that happen. They, you know, uh, can be down about the experience. So then I, I always like to start going into the new week with three good things that happened from last week. Win or loss, you know, regardless, let's actively find three good things, right? And I think the purpose of doing that is to undo negativity bias because our mind is constantly searching for what's wrong. Our mind is constantly searching for what could harm us. Our mind is constantly searching for the things that aren't going right, you know? And I think it's very, very important to slow down and actively search for the things that are going right, the things that are happening our way, right? And when things aren't going your way from an organizational standpoint or just a results standpoint, it's easy to lose sight of that. It's easy to kind of only focus on the things that are not happening the right way, you know? So I like to uh, bring the guys into focus on hunting the good stuff. And that was a practice I got from the military because what they do is so tough in the military that um, there's like a national day every Thursday that's hunt the good stuff, right? Every base, you get on Twitter, anywhere, uh, Instagram, look up hashtag uh, HTGS, you're gonna see military posts from all over the country with people just showing the good things happening where they are. So I was at Fort Irwin, California, it's in the middle of nowhere between Barstow and Baker, and uh, it was tough just being there. Right. Like it was a tough place to be. It was nothing out there. And uh, the practice of hunting the good stuff was really effective because everybody just thought the place sucked, let alone mm. what you have to do. Right. So that's really a, a thing that I've taken in my practice when I work with athletes is just kind of let's start there because we can go off on a tangent about the things that aren't working right. The coach who isn't listening to you or considering your input, things like that. But first, what's right? What's the things that's working for you? What are things that's happening good in your life? And it doesn't have to be sport. It can be your life. It can be, you know, something that you just read on, you know, the internet. It doesn't matter to me. But let's talk about those things because that's going to infuse positive emotions. That's going to get you into a productive mindset. That's going to undo, like we said, the negativity bias. And those are the things that are going to kind of be counterproductive to how we're trying to refocus, how we're trying to move forward. So once we do that, um, I like to grade the week or get their understanding of what they think their grade is. So we go scale of one to 10. Hey, I was a 10 this week. I was a one this week. You know, one's the lowest, 10's the highest, but whatever that grade is, we can look back three weeks, four weeks and see if we're making progress, if we're getting better, if we're having some slip ups, right? And then from there, what's one thing we want to improve? What do we want to get better at? What is something that we have to attack this week that could put, you know, potentially hold us back. And we go from there into what we call a success checklist. And the success checklist is just going to be, what are the factors to success this week against this opponent? What do you have to do in order to be successful? Non-negotiable. Mm. And we go from there. We set the stage. 
And then it's on them to do the work. It's on them to follow through. It's on them to, you know, do the plan. And we grade it the next week. How'd you do? X out of how many days were you able to follow the plan? X out of how many days were you able to do the extra things you said you needed to do? And then we can kind of look at the tape or, you know, their results and see what's adding up, what's contributing to either the win or the loss. Mm. Is it what we're doing or what we're not doing? And it's very objective. It's very easy to see. There's no emotion involved, right? But we get straight to it. And do you have them write this down or is just, is this just in conversations or are they documenting this over time? Uh, it's written down and then I send them uh, some things as like reminders. So then those reminders are basically what I'm going to use the following week to kind of use as a checklist. Did you do this? Mm. Did you do that? Mm. And our goal is to hit 80%. Mm-hmm. If we're hitting 80% every week, it's going to be very hard for us to go the other way in terms of our performance. Reflecting is something that we in, in our profession don't do enough of. Um, you know, I, I was telling Sean a funny story about a company that I was working with. And we had like a record setting July um, where we had booked more new business than ever in the history of the company. And I, I went to tell our, uh, one of our finance leaders and he, he didn't, when he, when I told him his response, he, there was no compliment. There was no recognition. It was just, so is the next month going to look like this? <laughs> um, and, and that I think is a great depiction of the culture in a lot of sales organizations is literally like, great. You just close the deal. Like where, when's the next one coming in? What's next? Exactly. And, and I think that's, it's terrible. Part of culture, I, I think that's, that's one thing I always tell guys when they have a problem with a coach, or they have a problem with the way somebody's doing something. Mm. If he does that every day, you can't have a problem every day, bro. Yeah, you got to go. Right? So we have to figure out a way to step our ass up. Mm. Right? And sometimes it goes back to that P3 mindset. Mm. Purposeful, productive, possible. So then it's it's not necessarily a matter of hard-charging goals. More so, how are we organizing ourselves to be about it? Mm. how are we organizing our inner life to deal with the things coming at us, you know, from the daily world. And if we're able to continue to do that, we have to make progress. Like, come on, Mm. you know? So I I think, you know, I never want to go into a situation or organization and then it's like, Oh, well, he's wrong. He's going to change because he's probably not more than not more than likely, you know? Um, So as my job, I want to get the results up period. Mm. Right. Like if he never changed, if this environment never changed, how can we still perform? And a lot of times it's it's acknowledging and recognizing that that's real. Mm. That's a real uh, objective. That's a real expectation. Right. So then dealing with that and be able to reframe, reinterpret. Right. But then also use it in a productive way, I think is useful. Mm. But the hard charging and not giving you guys space to do that. That's where it can get challenging. That's where it can get, you know, um, maybe this isn't the most effective way to go about this. But definitely, um, I I do want to make mention, and this is for all the leaders, um, your way is the way. You know, that's how you got where you are. Mm. But it's acknowledging how that's not helping us or how it is hurting us and then doing something about it. But you're not going to change who you are. You know, your preferred behavior is your preferred behavior. You're not going to adapt for no reason. You're only going to play up. You're never going to play down, right? 
So more times than not, I, I think it's important to recognize that, understand that, because that's real. The sale could have been luck, but this is expectation for you to turn another one. That's real. Right. So you have to acknowledge that. And I think we have to do the right things to refocus, to put ourselves in position for what's important now for how to be and what to do to move a little bit closer to that goal. Hmm. So it's not impossible. It's just a way to, you know, go about doing that. But um, I I do want to make that point that a lot of leaders are not going to change for you. That's for sure. (laughs) So you got to find a way to deal with it. We know that your specialty is not in mental health, uh, you know, in terms of uh, maybe what's going on uh, in someone's head other than from a performance angle. Um, But obviously we're hearing a lot more athletes, you know, Matt's talked a lot about, you know, Dak Prescott and Kevin Love and all these, you know, elite athletes talking more openly in the media and uh, in a lot of their um, platforms to be able to bring awareness to mental health. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that? I would say this just as a kind of caveat, like I had 15 months training um, postgraduate with clinical psychologists. Um, My formal training is under clinical psychologists. I worked with Dr. Donahue at UNLV. He's a classically trained clinical scientist. Um, Dr. Michael Gervais with the Seattle Seahawks. He's one of my mentors. He's a clinical psychologist licensed in the state of California. And I think what I learned most from those people versus me just kind of being in the performance uh, domain or performance context is applied versus like understanding the actual problem. Right. So if I'm going to give you something, what we do is apply work. Right. So we're going to understand the situation. We're going to listen to what's going on. And then we're going to try to give you some applied practices um, that some of the best performers in the world have used and has been tested over time to be highly effective, right? But there's also a thing of just understanding mental health. There's a reason why that's a thing, you know? And I think understanding mental health is very important because like we were just talking about, a lot of times you're not purposely trying to do something or you're not purposely trying to feel a certain way you're just not aware that it's coming on you like this. And in some cases, it could be too late. I think in Dak Prescott's situation, um, he was very depressed over his brother taking his own life. And then kind of on the heels of all of them mourning um, from years prior to him coming to the NFL, his mother passing away from cancer. That's a lot of his motivation. So to have like that double whammy of part of your support system being taken away because of some pain that maybe they couldn't express or didn't even realize was that real, right? Until that moment that somebody decides to do something that's detrimental, right? Um, I think it's very important to just be aware that these issues are real, that these issues deeply affect people and that help is definitely needed, right? So I think with the acknowledgement of Hayden Hurst with his suicide prevention um, platform and then understanding Dak's situation and them coming together, not only is that a huge thing for those two men, but I think that's a big deal for the NFL. Um, the NFL is a big machismo, macho culture, and um, it's very hard for guys to be open in that way. And, you know, there's a lot of studies in the in the Army that we read about where promotion was tied to mental health. 
So there's guys for years suppressing mental health issues because they wanted the next promotion. They wanted the next duty station, right? But what's most important? If you can't go back and be the man you need to be for your family, if you can't go back and be the man you need to be for your community, then what the hell is the next promotion? What the hell is the next deal, right? Or the next play Mm -hmm. or accomplishment? It's not much because it's it's not going to be able to be sustained. So I think the acknowledgement of mental health, the awareness of it is at an all-time high right now. And for those contact sports like football, for those Mm -hmm. macho cultures like football and the army and things like that, I think it's on the forefront right now because people are burnt out. It's a lot of that distress happening and it's impacting people's lives. And because of that, uh, you know, mental health is on the rise right now. Um, the practice, the understanding, the help, mm. the, uh, I think resources available to people are starting to be a lot more front of mind. And I think that's a very good thing. Yeah. I think that was one of the things we were, <clears throat> I think excited to start this conversation within the sales community, because I don't think that there is a safe place a lot of times for people to talk about the stress yeah. or pressure that they're feeling, um, whether it be work related or personal related. And I think it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to cut off one from the other, you know, turn on or turn off something at home or at work when, when the other place is affecting. There's a cultural consideration uh, with that as well. And I think that has to be acknowledged in a workplace or in a group environment because uh, my master's thesis was help-seeking attitudes and behaviors of minority athletes. Mm-hmm. And that was very important to me because my high school experience, um, my college experience for myself and for others, I saw coaches not understand people. And I saw coaches do things to people emotionally that didn't allow for people to be their best, didn't allow for people to show up fully alive, right? They were restricted. They were compacted in their being of themselves. Mm. They weren't able to show up like fully expressing who they are. And I think a lot of times that happens because you don't feel safe telling somebody something doesn't feel right. Mm. You don't feel safe telling somebody that they're not making you comfortable, right? It's hard to admit that stuff, yeah. Yeah, I think, like you said, with the safe space, it's very important for leaders to facilitate those spaces. It's important for leaders to facilitate bringing in a professional because Mm. it's necessary, not because it'll be good, not because of PR, but it is necessary. And then ultimately, it's going to be the difference between success now, success later, And ultimately, who is going to tell you, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this with you, regardless of how successful you are. So you're going to always have success on any side of the spectrum. But if you can't acknowledge or give a person the space to open up about what is Mm. bothering them or what maybe is concerning to them, you're never going to get the best out of somebody else. And ultimately, because of that, you won't get the best out of yourself either. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're, I think we're probably getting close here to wrapping up, Sean, but um, I have so many takeaways from this conversation. I think it's been fascinating for me to hear about all of these frameworks and structured thought that you put into managing and helping the, the folks that you work with. And I think 
you know, it made me think about how hard of a job it is to be a manager <laughs> because it's like part psychology, part coach, part friend, part mentor, part all of these things. Um, and I think a lot of the frameworks and structures that you shared today are useful for anybody that has to take care of someone else. You know, as you said, like leadership is a huge responsibility. You're taking care of someone else. And so um, I just want to thank you, Gary. I think it's been a fascinating conversation and I've certainly learned a lot. And I think I wrote down a couple of the frameworks. I mean, the check-in concept with the success checklist is fascinating and amazing. So thank you, Sean, anything else on your side? No, I mean, just off the top, I want to say thank you so much for doing this, man. We, we thought this conversation would be fascinating and it definitely <laughs> exceeded our expectations. I know that not only like the same takeaways Matt had there, I mean, just hearing about major league, you know, sports all, you know, starting to adapt and change towards these things shows you that they're so analytical and statistical about performance. They're obviously seeing some sort of success from this. So that's why they're investing more into it. And sales leaders and organizations that we're working in should also be looking at the same. They're just not seeing it yet in the numbers. And uh, I'm hoping that that's a big takeaway for me as any organization that I'm going to be part of. I'm definitely going to try and incorporate some of this mental performance uh, components into it. Definitely. So thank you so much for doing this, man. It's been a long time, uh, you know, since we first stepped onto the field together. But here we are again. I'm loving what you're doing. You're working with some incredible athletes, incredible programs. Is there anything you want to share about what you're working on right now or coming up soon or any, any place you want people to, you know, check you out except, you know, LinkedIn and things like that? I do have a digital situation that we just created, um, performusconsulting.com. It's basically your online mental gym. Um, you can get some information there. We have courses. We have uh, ways for you to do assessments to kind of understand really clearly what your preferred behavior is, uh, what your adaptive behavior is in situations where you feel like you have to act a certain way or be a certain way. And just kind of understanding really how to parse out and work and apply these skills that we've been talking about today. So that's my personal platform. Um, we kind of just got it going. And then I'm a part of a, um, a sport tech situation we're developing right now with a couple perform- uh, former professional athletes, um, Blitz TV. So blitz.tv um, is going to be a situation where we're giving trainers, we're giving coaches the platform, right? Because we feel like everybody will be willing to find information that helps them without the person having to be the person that delivers it to them. So just like you guys were saying, how do you find a safe space? We want to find a safe space for trainers, the most elite trainers, uh, the most elite coaches and consultants to be able to share their information in a way where athletes high performers, business leaders can get it right to their phone, right to their laptop. Um, and that's going to be Blitz TV. So look out for that. That's going to be coming um, next month. And performusconsulting.com, that's my platform. If anybody's looking to possibly learn more about what it is that we do or you know, want any type of help for their organization, I'm definitely available. Now, like this concept of like weekly check-ins that you're talking about, um, it made me think about COVID because uh, like myself as a manager, I would, I'm used to seeing, cause like the point of that is like, okay, is their head right? Are they focused on the right things for the week? 
Um, but you get to see them every single day at the office. And so you can, you can see with body language, with what time they're coming into the office, with how they're engaging with the other people, how they're doing, right? And figure out if you need to go check in more frequently than just that one week. But now, dude, like with COVID, you get like that one conversation a week um, and then they're gone. They're off and you don't see them again. You don't hear from them again. Maybe no, like a team meeting or Slack you don't hear from them again for the next week and you don't know what the fuck's going to happen in the meantime. And so like and like imagine like if a football team had to coach their players remotely, they never got to be physically on the field. That's kind of like what it's like now with a lot of managers and leaders in like the, the, the business world. Um, and, and I wanted to ask you, Gary, like, do you do all your work remote or like, did you have to go through a transition from like being able to be physically present with your clients to remote or have you always been remote? And like, what are you doing to like overcome that challenge of, you know, only hearing from them, see, you know, vi- uh, virtually versus having that physical time? I am very big on future orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, I spend a lot of times like with myself, um, just kind of crafting the future, I guess, for myself. And what I mean by that is like the future of my practice, the future of my work with the people I work with, the future of growing how I'm doing what I'm doing. And in December of 2019, um, I identified that my cousin, uh, Duke, Sean knows him. Uh, Duke lives in Texas and Duke is a big time trainer with professional athletes, offensive line in particular. He's like one of the top specialists in the world. And um, we want to work together, right? Like That's my cousin, but he's very far from me. And I have kids, I have a wife. It's just, it's tough to do that for that reason, right? So I go out to different things with him. We speak in person, but I'm like, you know what? He's working with so many athletes and it's only going to get bigger that we have to find a way now to nip that in the bud. Mm -hmm. Where if he refers somebody, if he sends anybody, that should be a thousand percent doable, right? Mm -hmm. So I got in front of it. I started getting, you know, different software and things to help myself out with that. But more than anything, um, I, I made the plan to go like all digital and remote. I want to be able to be serviceable with a laptop and a cell phone anywhere I'm at. And then a the crazy part about it, once I actually made it known to the players I was working with and the athletes I work with, they agreed. They did not want zoom. They did not want go to meeting the phone call allowed for the safe place. The phone call got to the good stuff. Why? Because I can't see you. You can't see me. You can share your emotion without me being able to judge it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think the power of that honestly fundamentally changed my private practice. Mm -hmm. So I'm now thinking I don't ever want to be the guy that you bring in to speak. Not in that way, but in a sense of like, if that's all you're bringing me in for and there's no actual connection to doing real work, and applying real work going forward, I know through research, evidence-based practice shows you a one-off with a consultant is not gonna be that effective to long-term goals, Mm. right? So if you don't have a plan in place to not only implement consultant services and apply them, but also do it over a period of time that have shown measures of effectiveness, you're wasting my time and you're wasting your people's time. Hmm. So what I realized was like, okay, the person that wants to lock in the 20 weeks, 10 weeks on the phone, they're dead ass serious about what they want to do. Hmm. They're not playing any games. It's now for them. Those are people I want to work with. Hmm. So for me, this is actually drilled down on ideal client for me hmm. because it was like a thought 
But just like I was just talking about, I did something in response to that thought, right? I put some things in place just in case it happened. Oh, I got that. Like, let's do it. You know, and I'll be damned if it didn't work. I'll be damned if COVID didn't hit and everybody wanted to be remote. Everybody wanted to talk (laughs) on the phone. Nobody wanted to meet, you know? Well, even more so like guys um, who didn't know me, it was even more comfortable for them to talk on the phone. Hmm. Like people I've never seen in my life. And I thought for me, that was powerful. Hmm. I think the takeaway there, Sean, is like managers need and leaders need to think a little bit about like what their new world should look like and how to how to incorporate the fact that we're virtual because what i've seen and what i've heard is that people took the same exact practices the same exact approaches and applied them to this new world and it's just not the same um you're not going to get the same results with the same tactics so yeah there has to be a deliberate plan or deliberate action taken that supports that move Mm. so i didn't know that COVID was going to happen in december but what I did know is if we're going to do this, it has to be high quality. It has to be facilitated in a way where they're getting the full experience still, but in a way that supports this format. I just happened to be four months ahead and it kind of supported that once it was necessary. But it's kind of, again, relationship with future self. So what happens when you have two clients that are both playing in the same game and you want to talk to both of them right before the game? <laughs> I'm just messing um, dude. <laughs> I, I think I, no, honestly I think it works and I'm going to have that happen this year but I, I think it works because everything we do is confidential we call it the Vegas rules what happens on this phone what happens in this meeting stays in this meeting and you'll never look at my social media and see a player you'll never look at my social media and see some audio clip from a conversation that's not what it's about they signed a confidentiality agreement with me they signed a consent with me that we're going to do this for X amount of time and we're going to get busy. But other than that, you know, the outside world has nothing to do with you and what you're trying to accomplish. I don't even have anything to do with it. I'm just here facilitating help. But in reality, I'm getting out the way because it's your experience. So the other person doesn't matter. The other team doesn't matter. Only thing that matters is how you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do. I love it, man. Safe space contractually. We need to sign safe space agreements with every one of our employees, Sean. And that will be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that is effective because I remember being the guy who's getting this call recorded and, hey, Gary, let's, uh, come in for a second. Let's talk about, you know, so I totally have been that person before. And what I realized with that was a lot of times they were all context, Hmm. right? Like you're trying to coach me up on something where you didn't catch why I even said that. So I think a lot of times, again, it goes back to that connection. So even in the virtual space, what works for the people? Because I was ready to go video. I was ready to go, you know, person to person. And then something just told me, ask the question, do they want that? Is that something you want? Don't just onboard people and, hey, we're going to meet on the video. And hey, they may not even want that. And it's like, oh, no, we're cool on the phone, bro. It's like, you sure? Bro, this is solid. It's like, cool. But had I never asked that, I would have rolled out some video program and, hey, check out my courses and listen to this video. And they wanted no parts of that. So just ask them what they want, man. They'll tell you. Hmm. Well, Gary, Matt and I want to definitely thank you for coming on our show and sharing your wisdom and experiences with our audience. Thank you so much. 
definitely I want to give you guys a huge, huge, huge shout out for even thinking of me uh, when you guys are, you know, trying to develop who's going to be coming on your show and things like that. So tip my cat to you guys for even thinking of me and bringing me out on this show. Thank you guys so much. But I want to acknowledge you guys in the sense of what you're trying to do. Um, I, in my opinion, awareness is key, you know, and the fact that you guys are trying to bring awareness to the sales environment, to the sales uh, domain in terms of mental performance, in terms of how to apply not only uh, the mental skills, but how to apply skills that help you be more productive. Right. And whether you're getting it from me, whether you're getting it from another professional, I think the leadership that you guys are showing to do this initiative can change the game for a lot of organizations. I think a lot of times we take for granted uh, how simple one thought can change our whole program. And we underrate the things that we're already doing, being able to help us if we just keep doing it harder. You know, so I want to really tip my cap to you guys for really even coming up with this concept. I think it's dope. Thank you. We appreciate yeah. that. And we're excited to see where this goes. It's going to be fun. And we'll let you know every time we get called rainbows along the way. Um. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to The Two Sales Guys. We hope you enjoyed the first four episodes. Looking ahead, you can expect to receive new episodes every two weeks, starting with December 16th. We'll be interviewing a friend of ours, Evan Waddell, as he discusses the stress of going through an acquisition from the sales point of view. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast to be notified when new episodes are released. And like us on Instagram and head on over to our website, thetwosalesguys.com. 